The Island Digest is a sampling of the stories in this week's Journal of the San Juans, Islands Sounder, and Islands Weekly, which are on newsstands now. The December 13th edition is brought to you by Orcas Center. I'm Caleb Summers. Headlines from the week of December 13th, 2023. Rainbow Club, Strengthening Families, and More at Funhouse this winter. Prosecutors to retry Dwight Henline after mistrial. Learn about the clinical benefits of psychedelics. Plus, choice excerpts from the sheriff's log. First, from the Island's Sounder, Rainbow Club, Strengthening Families, and more at Funhouse this winter, by Colleen Smith-Summers. The Funhouse Commons is offering a medley of new programming for island youth, First up is the Rainbow Club, a bi-weekly gathering for LGBTQIA+, middle and high schoolers, and allies, ages 11 to 18. Middle school is a crucial time for queer kids to have that safe and inclusive space, said Youth Development Program Director Maddie Olson. With the Rainbow Club, there's a built-in leadership opportunity for the high schoolers. It's absolutely for all kinds of kids. Allies are absolutely welcome. It's not just about sexual orientation. It's a safe space to talk about identity, about life issues, and just to hang out with other kids in the community who may share some common ground. I want this to feel like a celebratory and easy break from the heaviness that can be associated with the LGBTQIA community. The club will meet every other Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Funhouse. The first session is on December 21st. Attendees can enjoy crafts, games, pizza, and a viewing of the show Heartstopper. Those interested can drop in. No sign-up is needed. In Olson's previous job as the public school librarian, they were the high school's Gender and Sexuality Alliance advisor. The Rainbow Club came out of a need for a middle school GSA club and support, Olson said. We'll see how it grows and develops it based on the needs and desires of the kids who attend. We're also making inter-island queer club connections and we'll collaborate with the GSA clubs on San Juan and Lopez. From January 24th to March 6th, the Funhouse will lead the Strengthening Families program, a free course for parents and kids ages 10 to 14 to gain tools, skills, and strategies for navigating adolescence. This class provides free dinner, a parent and youth breakout session, and a family session. They will also provide free childcare for younger siblings. The seven sessions for English-speaking families will be held on Wednesday evenings from 5 to 7.30, starting on January 24th, and the four sessions for Spanish-speaking families will be on Tuesday evenings from 5 to 7.30, starting on February 6th at Camp Orcaila. In 2021, the Coalition for Orcas Youth elected Strengthening Families as a priority program towards its vision of a community-empowered youth with skills and resources to become compassionate, healthy adults. The curriculum helps parents establish the foundation for a strong relationship with their young adolescents. Youth build skills such as goal-setting and tools for dealing with peer pressure, helping them navigate towards healthy choices. 
Last year, 11 families participated, eight of which were Spanish-speaking. It's a cool program. One of my favorite parts is the empathy-building portion for both parents and kids, Olson said. Instead of the Funhouse's traditional long-term mentorship program, adults and youth will be paired together in four-month arts- and skills-based apprenticeships. From January 14th to April 27th, artists and makers in the community will be matched with middle and high schoolers to work on a project for up to two hours a week. The work will then be displayed in a gallery show. Three artists have signed up so far, Ali Cobb, Ashanti Makiba, and Andrew Youngren. We are recruiting artists and mentees at the moment, Olson said. This is the continuation of a program from 2019 that was put on hold. I am excited to see where we go with it, having kids and mentors connect over a shared project. For more information or to sign up, email maddie at thefunhouse.org. From the Journal of the San Juan Islands, Prosecutors to Retry Dwight Henline After Mistrial by Kevin Schofield Last month, a Seattle jury was unable to reach a unanimous verdict in the trial of Dwight Henline for arson, after hearing testimony from nearly 50 witnesses and viewing over 100 pieces of evidence. Henline was indicted in May 2022 for allegedly starting the fire that burned four buildings along Spring Street in Friday Harbor on April 7th of last year, destroying several local businesses, including Herb's Tavern, Crow's Nest Coffee, Crystal Seas Kayaking, and Windermere Real Estate. Henline was charged by the Office of the U.S. Attorney for the District of Western Washington with violating the federal arson statute. He has been detained in a federal correction facility since his arrest in April 2022, while his case proceeds. After eight days of testimony, almost entirely by the prosecution's witnesses, the jury notified the court on its third day of deliberations that it was unable to reach a verdict. U.S. District Court Judge John Chun, who presided over the case, read the jury some additional general advice on how to break their impasse and sent them back to continue deliberating. But mid-afternoon that same day, the jury once again declared that they were unable to reach a verdict. Minutes later, the judge declared a mistrial. The prosecution argued that Henline is a troubled and angry man whose life hit rock bottom on April 6th. He had lost both his job and his housing, his friends had largely abandoned him, and he was planning to leave Friday Harbor for good on the evening ferry. But just before boarding the ferry that evening, he allegedly bought a container of cigarette lighter fuel and poured much of it out and set it ablaze on the lower wooden deck behind Crystal Sea's kayaking. According to the prosecution, that fire then smoldered for several hours before turning into a large conflagration around 3.45 a.m. the next morning. Investigators pieced together security camera footage from several sources tracing Henline's movements around town on the evening of the 6th. In a set of events critical to the prosecution's case, video showed Henline purchasing lighter fluid at the Little Store at 9.53 p.m., then walking outside of Herb's Tavern and down Spring Street towards the waterfront at 9.56 p.m. A security camera inside Windermere Real Estate's conference room showed a bright flare-up 
consistent with a fire, behind the building at 10.04 p.m. that lasted for 34 seconds. Then a security camera at Spring Street Landing observed Henline at the foot of Spring Street, outside Cask and Schooner, at 10.05 p.m. But according to a court filing by the defense, in an interview with prosecution and defense attorneys after the trial concluded, some jurors indicated there were several issues preventing them from reaching a guilty verdict beyond a reasonable doubt, the standard for conviction. In fact, the final jury vote before the mistrial was declared was apparently 10 to 2, favoring not guilty. Two contentious issues loomed large during the trial. First, while the prosecution's evidence placed Henline on the block of Spring Street with flammable liquid in his possession at the time the fire supposedly started, they presented no evidence that directly confirmed he was on the lower deck behind Crystal Sea's kayaking or that he actually started a fire there during the crucial nine minutes between 9.56 and 10.05. In fact, there was no evidence presented at all about his whereabouts or activities during that time. Henline chose not to testify. That is his right, and juries in criminal trials are instructed that they may not draw negative inferences against a defendant for not testifying. But that meant that during the trial, he could not be asked to account for his time. Also, as is common in arson cases, there was no residue left from the liquid used to start the fire, and there was no DNA or fingerprint evidence that survived the blaze. Second, the prosecution argued that after the initial flare-up, the fire smoldered for over five hours before engulfing the buildings. The defense's sole witness in the trial, a forensic chemist named Dale Mann, was called as an expert witness to rebut that assertion. He testified that a fire ignited with a flammable liquid on a wooden deck would not smolder for that long. It would either die out or become a larger fire in much less than five hours. The prosecution called multiple expert witnesses to try to refute Mann's claim, but their witnesses were only able to assert that it was theoretically possible for such a fire to smolder that long. They were unable to cite any cases where a similar fire had smoldered for more than 90 minutes before becoming a larger fire. Nevertheless, the prosecution presented a significant amount of other evidence suggesting Henline's guilt. A collection of former friends, ex-roommates and ex-girlfriends, many of whom he had met through Alcoholics Anonymous meetings on the island, described his bouts of anger, hostility, and occasional threats of violence towards them and the town of Friday Harbor. However, none testified as to things that Henline said during AA meetings. Those who had attended meetings with him were unwilling to divulge anything spoken during the meetings out of respect for the program's expectation that meetings are confidential, and neither the prosecution nor the defense pressed them to break that confidentiality. The prosecution also played a recording of a telephone interview that occurred about a week after the fire between Henline and two officers investigating the incident. ATF agent Greg Heller and San Juan County Sheriff's Office Detective Lucas Peter. In that call, Henline denied buying lighter fluid the evening of the fire as well as walking behind any buildings downtown, both directly contradicted by the video evidence collected by investigators. 
According to a public information officer for the U.S. Attorney's Office in Seattle, prosecutors have requested a new trial. That has been scheduled tentatively to begin on January 22nd, though the date may change as they work to accommodate the schedule of the attorneys and potential witnesses. In addition, Henlein's attorneys have asked the court to revisit his ongoing detention, given that he has already been held for over 18 months, arguing that the results of the first trial suggest that the prosecution's case is weak. A hearing on that motion is scheduled for December 11th. From the Islands Weekly, learn about the clinical benefits of psychedelics by Colleen Smith-Summers. The use of psychedelics has been a long-standing part of cultures around the world. In the United States, a groundswell of support for the use of psychedelics in treating depression, anxiety, and post-traumatic stress disorder has led to psilocybin, the psychedelic compound found in mushrooms, being decriminalized in Oregon and Colorado as well as many cities, including Seattle. This past May, Washington State Governor Jay Inslee created a task force to explore the issue and authorized the University of Washington School of Medicine to study the therapeutic value of psilocybin. The bill allocated $1.4 million for the pilot program, which will include military veterans and first responders with PTSD and alcohol use disorders. UW researcher Dr. Nathan Sackett is overseeing the program, which will begin in January 2025 and run for one year. Dr. Sackett is coming to the San Juans to present a lecture on the clinical benefits of psychedelics. The San Juan County Psychedelic Society and the Psychedelic Medical Alliance of Washington are sponsoring the event. He will speak at the Orcas Senior Center on Sunday, December 17th at 2 p.m., and at the Lopez Island Library on Tuesday, December 19th at 11 a.m. The stigma from the war on drugs is ongoing. People hear psychedelic and they make all sorts of assumptions. There remain a lot of misconceptions and false information that continue in people's imagination, Sackett explained. The biggest challenge we face is the complex regulatory landscape, Specifically, the fact that most psychedelics are classified as a Schedule I drug, which implies they have no therapeutic value. This is largely the remnants of misinformation in the late 1960s that led to this, and we're still trying to overcome this policy. It is clear that psychedelics do have therapeutic value, but many questions remain, like who are the best people to receive psychedelics? What is the best type of therapy for psychedelics? Who is at risk of harm from using psychedelics? According to the National Library of Medicine, many individuals suffering from mental health issues are now seeking to utilize psychedelics for healing, especially in cases where currently available psychotherapeutic or psychopharmacological treatments have failed. The resulting public demand for the therapeutic use of psychedelics is being felt in mental health services around the world. Sackett, an addiction psychiatrist, created the Center for Novel Therapeutics in Addiction Psychiatry at UW to study emerging treatments for the complex condition of addiction. He and his team study how compounds like psilocybin may augment the therapeutic process. He says many people are shocked to learn about the potential benefit of psychedelics when administered in a therapeutic environment and how this contrasts with recreational use. 
I am excited about the way psychedelics are being used to both treat various conditions, but also how they can be used to help us better understand the mind, the brain, and consciousness. I am more focused on the clinical utility of psychedelics, as I want to find treatments that help the people I care for. However, the potential to help explore larger questions is very exciting and something that will probably continue to expand, he said. Sackett's lectures on Orcas and Lopez will review the general history of psychedelic research in the medical field and current research. He will cover how the studies are designed, what the data is telling researchers, and the next steps in the field. Sackett said the primary question researchers are exploring right now is, who is and isn't a candidate for psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy? Psychedelic research is evolving rapidly, and there are many different potential disorders it could be used for, but we continue to need more data, he said. I suspect we will move towards a transdiagnostic model, meaning psychedelics won't specifically be used for just one or two clinical indications, but they will be used to augment other therapies and increase effectiveness. But we have many more questions to answer on this path. And now, some choice excerpts from the San Juan County Sheriff's Log. On November 29th, on San Juan, a motorcycle bag was found in the roadway, retrieved and entered into the evidence system as found property. On November 30th, deputies responded when an unoccupied vehicle rolled off an embankment on Fisherman Bay Road on Lopez, nearly going into the water. There were no injuries, and the truck was undamaged. A San Juan deputy stopped the driver of a vehicle after observing it peel out in front of the sheriff's office. The driver was arrested for driving under the influence, received multiple citations, and was booked into jail. On December 2nd, a Friday Harbor resident turned in an envelope with an undisclosed amount of cash inside, which was found at the dog park. The money was placed into the property and evidence room. I sense the outline of a cozy mystery story right here. Any authors in the room? On December 4th, an Orcas deputy responded to a report that an Australian Kelpie was lost and possibly stolen from the West Beach area sometime around November 26th. On December 5th, an Orcas deputy contacted a person regarding a civil matter. The reporting party alleged theft of a business name. The investigation is ongoing. And this concludes the December 13th edition of the Island Digest. This edition is brought to you by Orcas Center. Orcas Center is your place for fun and intrigue this fall with live concerts, performances, art openings, and more. To check out upcoming events and purchase tickets, visit orcuscenter.org. Thank you for listening to the Island Digest, a small sampling of what's in your local print newspapers this week. The Journal, Sounder, and Weekly rely upon advertising, subscriptions, and donations to support our mission of high-quality community journalism. To contribute, visit our websites or email publisher Colleen Smith-Summers at csmith at soundpublishing.com. Thanks again for listening, and come back next week for more local news from San Juan County, Washington. I'm Caleb Summers.